How many of you remember that little uh, rhyme, of course, that uh, you were taught when you were little and uh, people were making fun of you? Maybe you taught it to your kids. Sticks and stones may what? And it's a lie. You know that, don't you? It's not true at all. It's not true at all. Now, sticks and stones will break your bones, but guess what? They heal. Some of you can remember words that were spoken to you dozens of years ago, decades ago, that still hurt, don't they? <laughs> Isn't that funny? We try to get our kids to realize that, that names and those things, they don't really hurt. But also what that teaches them is if you call somebody a name, it's no big deal because after all, it won't hurt them. When in fact, the truth is the names that you were called, the things that were said to you can hurt you more than a stick or a stone and can last longer and change the course of your life. Now, what's that got to do with our sermon series? Stick with me. We'll show you in just a moment. <clears throat> All right, we are right now back to our series called Everyday Heroes of the Faith. And when I lead worship like this and preach, usually my voice goes away, so that's why I have this. Matt will be back next week. He's enjoying a wonderful uh, Thanksgiving. Anyway, we're right now Everyday Heroes of the Faith. Last week, we had our missions Sunday, which was a great time. Thanks to Gene and, and your team that put it together. That was wonderful. I just appreciate that emphasis on missions. Next Sunday, we're going to gather together and decorate the church for Christmas. We call it our Hanging to the Green service. Then we'll pick up the series, and this series will take us right through Christmas. <clears throat> this is, now we're not talking about superheroes, okay, for those of you who are just joining us, we're not talking about the superheroes of the faith, those people that did great things. We're talking about everyday heroes, the things that, that, that we can do, the little things that we can do. It's based on this passage of scripture right here. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards, not many were influential, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, the weak things of the world. In other words, he was writing to this church saying, you know what? God calls you and he's using you and he didn't call you because you're great people. You're actually pretty common and ordinary. You're just people. But oh, the incredible things God is going to do through you because that's how God works. Yes, every now and then you find that superstar of the faith, the Rick Warrens, the Martin Luthers, the Pauls and Augustines and the Billy Grahams. Those are the ones we tend to remember. But if it was all left up to them, the kingdom wouldn't grow. The kingdom is built by people like us, everyday heroes of the faith. And that's what we're learning to be. So here's the people we've already looked at. These are the everyday heroes. First of all, there's a the little boy with loaves and fish. Remember, he just gave the little bit that he had. He didn't try to feed everybody. He just gave the little that he had. And Jesus did something marvelous with it. Andrew, Peter's brother, who was as soon as he met Jesus Christ, it says the first thing that he did is he went to get his brother. Now, Peter turned out to be a superstar. Andrew kind of fades away. He's an everyday hero because the first thing he did was go get his brother and say, look, let me introduce you to Jesus. Stephen, a man who gave his life, but he really didn't intend to. He was just preaching. He was just standing up against the lies of the world. He took a stand. Now, it cost him his life, but he didn't know that until the very end. He certainly didn't think he was going to die until all of a sudden they took him out there and he realized this is it. But before that, all he was doing was taking a personal stand, saying this is what is right and this is what is true. And then John Mark, the last one we looked at, a young man who um, started off on a great journey with Barnabas and Saul and deserted them because it got too tough. But he came back eventually becoming the protege of Peter and eventually writing the Gospel of Mark. 
So here's what we've learned from these everyday heroes of the faith. First of all is this. Now you're in your sermon notes if you want to use them. <clears throat> First of all, this is kind of a recap. Everyday heroes of the faith know that Jesus won't do anything with nothing. Everyday heroes of the faith give. They give faithfully. They don't try to give a ton because they don't have a ton. They just are faithful in what they're going to give, a little that they give over and over and over again because they know that Jesus won't do anything. He could do anything, but he won't unless we give him. So they give of their time and their talent and their treasure faithfully and regularly. Next thing, they don't focus on doing great things for Jesus. They're not trying to become superheroes of the faith. They trust Jesus to do great things with the little that they faithfully give. That's it. Most of the everyday heroes of the faith will be long forgotten. Not all that many decades after they're with the Lord. Think of all the everyday heroes of the faith that have lived the last couple thousand of years. You don't know their names. They did great things because what they did is they gave a little bit to Jesus and they trusted him to do great things with it. It's what Jesus does, not what you do. Next thing about them is they take a personal stand. Somewhere in the world, you're going to take a personal stand against the lies of this world, which just simply means we don't live according to the same values. As the world tries to tell us this is what is right and true and this is the value, we stand up and say, no, we don't live like that. It may be the way to, to the great finance, it may be the great way to, to riches and fame, but we don't live that way. We have a different value and a standard. And then what we learned last time, everyday heroes of the faith will give in, you will. Remember that passage of scripture that I told you? We all stumble in many ways, okay? Please remember that. It doesn't make a really great doily to put up on the wall because it's really not kind of, you know, that inspiring passage. It's just true. We all stumble in many ways. Quoting the Bible to you right there. God always holds a standard up for us. He says, this is what I'm looking for. This is holiness. This is righteousness. But he does not condemn us because we don't live up to it. We're going to get to that in just a little while. In a few weeks, we talk about grace and truth. Jesus held up the truth, but he always, always brought grace. We all stumble in many. You're going to blow it. The only people who really blow it are the ones who stop trying. You get up. You keep moving forward. You learn. You give in, but you don't give up. Okay, this morning, <clears throat> we're going to take a look at this man right here. His name is Joseph. Now, there are four Josephs in the Bible. Four of them. I did the research. That's what's so fun about computers these days. I can put that in. Four different men named Joseph in the Bible. Let's see if you can figure out. The first one, we'll take them in kind of chronological order here. The first one is who? Old Testament. There's your hint. Who is it? Perfect. By the way, that's the answer for all of them. He is the son of Jacob. He's the one who who establishes um, the children of Israel in Egypt as he goes and, and leads Egypt. And it's a wonderful story. That's the first Joseph. What's the second Joseph? It's in the New Testament. You find him in Matthew and you find him in Luke. Jesus, right, okay. It's the husband of Mary, Joseph. We're going to talk about him as, a, as an everyday hero of the faith in about three or four weeks. Okay, we'll come back to him. 
The third Joseph, I wonder if anybody here can pick up the third Joseph. It's in Acts, I believe, right around chapter 1. Anybody but Carson. So uh, we'll give you a second. <clears throat> okay, Joseph of Arimathea. Very good. Joseph of Arimathea. We'll take that. Good, good. As a matter of fact, then, guess what? There's five. Who's the fourth Joseph? Carson, do you know that one? Ah, but that's coming up. See, you stepped ahead. Before that, I think there's another Joseph. You'll find him in Acts chapter 1. After Judas has committed suicide, they put two men up for election to be the next um, apostle. Two men, Matthias and Joseph, also called Justice. How about that? And Joseph loses the election, and you never hear from him again. Matthias wins the election, and you never hear from him again. Okay? <laughs> then number five. And that's the Joseph we're talking about. You don't know him by the name Joseph. You know him by his nickname. Here's where we first meet him, right here. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus. Cyprus is a little island, actually not all that little, right in the Mediterranean Sea, kind of off Lebanon and south of Turkey. That's where he was born. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it in. Okay, let me tell you what's going on here. And by the way, he's never called Joseph again. He's talked about many times in the book of Acts. Never again is he referred to as Joseph. From this point on, he's always referred to as Barnabas, and we'll explain why in a moment. We first meet him when... The church has first started there in Jerusalem, and there are poor people. There's no government programs, there's no social security, there's no food stamps, there's nothing like that. But there are poor people in the church. The rich and the powerful really weren't drawn to Jesus Christ, because they already had riches and powers, they didn't want to lose it. There's poor people, everyday people, who found grace and mercy when Jesus told them, look, you're, you're not dogs, you're not the scum of the earth, the kingdom of God belongs to you. And they flocked, but they're poor. They got nothing. And there were some people in the early church who actually did have money. And to meet the needs of the poor people, they just started pouring money in. They didn't pour in the money to run the church. They poured the money in to be distributed to the needy. And Joseph has a field. He sells a piece of property. And he comes to the apostles and said, here's the money. Use it to feed the poor. And they call him Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. See, Barnabas isn't just his nickname. It's a nickname that describes his character. Most of our nicknames really don't describe character. They're just a nickname. For instance, in case you didn't know it, while I am Doug Bailey and you know me as Pastor Doug, my first name is not Doug. My first name is actually, who knows it? Robert. Yes, that is my first name. I have gone by Doug my whole life. Don't ask me why. My parents did the same thing to my older brother. We go by our middle names. There it is. Every now and then, though, my name gets list on some sucker list, and some salesman calls me, pretending to be my friend, and he'll say this, hey, is Bob Bailey there? I'm going, you don't know me, do you? Because yeah. somehow Bob is the nickname for Robert. I have no idea. I haven't even researched that. One day when I have a little time, I will, just to figure out how Robert turned into Bob. But that's actually my nickname. Please don't use it. At least don't use it often. How's that? 
Pastor Bob just sounds like a cartoon character on TV. <laughs> anyway, that's what um, nicknames usually are for us. But every now and then you actually find nicknames or names that describe people's character. For instance, how about these guys right here? There you go. What are their names? And they're all based on their character, who they are. Okay, can you name them for me? For instance, this guy right here on the end, what is he? Dopey, yeah, that's great. And the next guy would be sleepy, and the next guy would be bashful, and then Doc's in the middle. I have no idea what Doc's all about, but we'll, we'll come back to him. Anyway, and then next to him, the one doing the finger is happy, and then we have... You guys identify with grumpy? Some of you do. And then finally we have... Sure. Their names actually were part of their character, just like Barnabas son of encouragement, was all about his character. It wasn't just a nickname. This is who he was. So before we go any further, just a little sidelight, just for the fun of it. If the church got together and started assigning nicknames that described who you are, what would your nickname be? <laughs> what would, if the church and the leaders of the church, the people who know you best, got together and said, let's choose a nickname for this person, what... Could it be, you know, when you're coming and they say, hey, there's Mr. or hey, look, here comes Ms. whatever. It could be Mr. Know-it-all or there it is, yeah. <laughs> Mr. Nice Guy. Ms. Sourpuss. <laughs> Ms. Dependable. There it is. <laughs> Mr. Phony. I don't know. See, what would be... Your nickname. Now, that's a freebie, okay? That, believe me, some of you think that's the whole point of the sermon. It isn't. That's just a freebie. We're moving on with the sermon. Most of you will never get past that. You'll be thinking of that for the rest of the sermon. It's okay. It's all right. Here we go. The next time we see Barnabas, the son of encouragement, this man whose nickname defines who he is, is just after Saul has been converted. Saul, who has who is actually sent off on a mission to arrest Christians, bring them back to Jerusalem, and execute them. That's what his job is to do. And while he's on this journey, going to Damascus to arrest Christians, to bring them back to Jerusalem, to have them executed, he meets Jesus Christ. And he is converted to Jesus Christ. And there's a whole other everyday hero of the faith called Ananias. We'll talk about him in a couple of weeks. Who's significant in that? Then Paul, now Saul, actually still, but he eventually becomes Paul, comes back to the disciples. And he says, look, I'm one of you. And they said, oh, no, 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 you're not, gonna, you're not fooling us with that one. We know who you are. You're just trying to trick us. And they would have nothing to do with him. Peter, James, Nathaniel, Andrew. Here's where we meet Barnabas again. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. And he told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. Barnabas took Saul by the hand, first one to believe in him, took him to the apostles and said, look, trust this guy. Now, you know what's interesting? Barnabas wasn't there at the conversion. We know that because Saul wasn't there to meet with Christians. He was there to arrest them. Barnabas wouldn't have been anywhere near him. He just believed the best about Saul. And he went with it. File that one away, okay? 
Next time that we see Barnabas, um, the, the leaders of the church are, are, are going to check what's happening in, in Antioch. Antioch is now in Turkey. Back then it was in Greece, a little town. I mean, the gospel is moving because initially the, the Jewish leaders just thought that Christianity was going to be kind of a Jewish thing. But suddenly it's spreading all around and there's this town called Antioch where they're getting these reports back about people who are coming to the Lord Jesus Christ and being filled with the Spirit. And they're going, what's this about? So who do they send? They send the son of encouragement, Barnabas. When he arrived and saw the evidence, he makes it to Antioch. He saw the evidence and the grace of God. He was glad and encouraged them all. Well, of course he encouraged them all. It's what he does to remain true to the Lord and with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Great things were happening in Antioch. So what does he do about it? This. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. And the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Here is the opportunity to be the pastor of an incredible church. One of the five churches that went on to be one of the five most important churches in the early church. And yet when he got there and he saw the great, his first thought was, you know what? Saul needs to get in on this. And where was Saul? Preaching? He went home. He's from Tarsus. He was converted, rejected by the disciples. He went home, and he's sitting around at home, probably tent-making, because that's what he did. He made tents. He wasn't around spreading the gospel. He went home. Until Barnabas. You know, you know who would really do well here? Let me go get Saul. And for the first time, Saul is brought in to evangelize an entire town for one year. But it's not because the leaders of the church asked him to do it. It's because Barnabas went to get him and believed in him. Okay? A little while later, we find Barnabas once again, because while they're up there in Antioch, um, the word comes that there's going to be a great famine. A prophet shows up and says, you know, there's going to be a huge famine down in Jerusalem, and uh, our brothers and sisters in Jerusalem are going to starve. And so the people up in Antioch, the church up in Antioch, begins to take a great offering that they want to send down to Jerusalem to help the saints in Jerusalem in the midst of a famine. And who do they send with it? Who do you send with this great offering? During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. So the church takes up an offering. The disciples, each according to his ability, decided to provide help for the brothers living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by who else? The son of encouragement and his sidekick. There's other things that happen in his life, but there's one more incident that I think helps us understand why he's an everyday hero to faith. After their trip to Antioch and after a little bit of a controversy in Jerusalem over whether Gentiles, that's us, we're not Jews, could actually receive God and they decide that they can, they send Barnabas and Saul out and then the Spirit sets them aside for an actual missionary journey and uh, along one of those journeys, 
as we saw a couple weeks ago, they decide to take a young man named John Mark with them. And John blows it. He gets homesick. He gets sick. We don't know. We just know he deserted them. And instead of going on with them to finish the work, he went back home. Then there comes another time where they are going out on another journey, both Barnabas and Paul. And that's when we pick up the story. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and... Now, by the way, did you notice? All this time has been Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas, and suddenly there's a switch. Suddenly this man that Barnabas encouraged is now the lead. And it's Paul and his sidekick. Let's go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with him, but Paul didn't think it wise to take him because he deserted them in Pamphylia. And they had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. The team, the dynamic duo that started off as Barnabas and his sidekick and eventually turned into be Paul and his helper. Part company over a young man named John. <laughs> now, we already talked about John. If you're interested, there's a sermon. We'll put it online. You can, you can listen to that one from a couple weeks ago. It's Barnabas that I'm focusing on today. Barnabas knew he deserted him, but he wanted to give him a second chance. Just because he blew it once doesn't mean he'll blow it again. And because Barnabas did that, because Barnabas took him, Mark was strengthened and encouraged, which is exactly what you'd expect from someone named Son of Encouragement to do in people's lives. Eventually becoming a friend and a co-worker with the very man who wouldn't even take him, Paul. And eventually being a protege of Peter, so much so that with Peter's help, he's the first one to write down the story of Jesus Christ, the Gospel of Mark. All because one man, the son of encouragement, said, I still believe in you. Yeah, you blew it, but I believe in you. Let's try it again. So what does this Barnabas tell us about everyday heroes of the faith? Well, how about this? Everyday heroes of the faith try to bring out the best in the people they meet. You can do no better thing, my friends. Giving money is wonderful. Giving of your time is wonderful. All this, it's great. But if you can learn to bring out the best in the people that you meet, you get to be a Barnabas. And look at the incredible things that happen. Saul's turn into Paul's. Frightened little boys turn into men who stand for Jesus Christ. Because you learn to look for and bring out the best. All the while preparing for this one, I've been unable to get that stupid little jingle out of my head for best food mayonnaise, huh? Bring out the, bring out the best food and what? Bring out the best. I mean, yeah, you know what? So I all want you to be mayonnaise if you can. Just bring out the best in the people around you. Be a Barnabas. This is what the Bible says. We who are strong ought to hear, ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. 
Each of us should please his neighbor for his own good, to build him up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. In other words, Jesus came to build us up. And the scripture says that's what you're supposed to do. Okay, so the people around you are weak. Bear with them. Hold them up. Don't just make it about yourself. Let's build the people around us. See, there are two things you can do when you uh, interact with people. Here's your choice. You can do these two things. Number one, you can build a bridge. You can build a wall. Some people are really good at building bridges. When they meet people, there's just that connection, and you just kind of help those people be a little more human and a little better. Many of us are really, really good at building walls, aren't we? Walls of um, apathy. We just don't care about them. And that wall goes up. Walls of uh, anger. Indifference. Hate. And that wall goes up. That's why I wanted you to see this passage one more time. You already saw it in that little video. And by the way, it was wrong up on the video. It said uh, Proverbs 12.8. It's not. It's Proverbs 12.18. But here's the video. I mean, here's the passage right here. Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Could you read that with me, please? Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. One more time. Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. We could even, if we wanted to, change the day, but the tongue of the everyday heroes of the faith, but the tongue of the Barnabases of the world, they bring healing. We have our choice when we meet people, when we talk to people. You want to tear them down? Oh, and friends, come on, let's face it. Some of us are really good at that. Some of us, that's our default setting. Some of us, that's not our default setting, but given to that default setting, if I ever give in to that, oh my word, can I rip you? If you want any proof, my wife is sitting right over there, and she has full permission to tell you all about those times. They're not often, but I can do it. Man, I'm good at it. I make my living with words. Hopefully words that build you up and strengthen you and point you right to the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> but I know how to use the other ones too. I can. Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the everyday heroes of the faith, a tongue of the people like Barnabas, they build people up. That's what turned Joseph into Barnabas. His name wasn't Barnabas. His name is Joseph. But nobody called him that because of who he was and what he did. And look what happened to Barnabas, by the way. He faded away. Get online sometime and try to figure out what happened to Barnabas. Remember that last passage he gave you? That's it. That's it. All done. We don't really know what happened to him after that. He just kind of disappears. John Mark, one of the ones that he led, writes the gospel. Paul, the one that, that he actually brought into ministry. Turns out to be the superstar apostle. Barnabas just slips away. But he left behind two great men, at least 
So in the time that's left of us today, this is what I'm going to look at. How to be a Barnabas, okay? How to be a Barnabas. Some of you, it's natural. You already are a Barnabas. We can call you a son or a daughter of encouragement. Most of us have a little work to do here, okay? Good, that's all right. That's job security for me. It's okay. I like it. (laughs) How to be a Barnabas. First of all, ready? Here we go. Think of others before yourself. Boy, that was kind of a no-brainer, huh? Boy, we live in a society and in a culture that does not, while it holds this up as some sort of virtue, it really doesn't mean it. Because if you're not going to take care of you, then who will? And you deserve that new car, and you deserve that new body, and what about you, what about you, what about you? I saw it firsthand um, Friday night. My wife and I got an opportunity to go to Bridgeport Village. And um, we, want, we went to see the movie Lincoln. Very good movie if you happen to be a history buff. And, uh, then we, but just getting to Bridgeport Village is kind of busy, of course. And um, parking was kind of a, well, it was a challenge. Okay. And I watched it. We were there. We saw it. You know, we're parked there, we're stopped in the whole line of cars as somebody pulls out, and the person here is getting ready to pull in, and guess what happens straight across here? Someone just took that spot. And the person who'd been waiting laid on their horn, and I thought, yeah, this will be really good for Sunday morning. Uh There's just that tendency to think of yourself. Hey, here's a spot. And if I get to it first, even though this person's been waiting, well, tough. Because it's me. And if I don't worry about me, who will? If we're going to do something like that with parking, wow, it's probably going to influence a lot of our lives without us ever really thinking about it. See, this is what the Bible says. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. That wouldn't be a bad phrase if it wasn't for the word nothing. I hate that. If it just said, usually don't do this. Or most of the time, but it said do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. I'm going, wow, I cannot tell you that I live by this one. I can look back and think, you know, that, or there was a lot of vain conceit in what I just spent my money on. There was a lot of selfish ambition. There was, now, that's not, that doesn't characterize my life. But it's my life every now and then. So I, I hate the word nothing. So you can look in the Greek to find out what it really says. And what it really says is, do nothing. It's there, you know. There it is. I'd like to think that somewhere in, in the life of Barnabas, there was vain conceit and selfish ambition. But we don't ever have any evidence of that. He lived to bring out the best in other people. But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interest. Okay, now, looking to your own interest isn't necessarily a bad thing. For instance, I have to pay my bills, I have to feed my family, I have to feed me, I have to clothe me. It's not that we don't care about ourselves. It's just that while we're taking care, we're not doing it for vain conceit or selfish ambition. We're doing it to take care of ourselves. We also look to the interest of others, the people around us, the people in the church the people in our communities. It's one of the reasons we do what we do here. 
One of the reasons that we have our after-school programs and our, and our Jumpstart program for the, for the little kids and for the after-school open gym. We're doing it for them. We do it to help some of these little kids, some of them that don't even speak English when they come into our Jumpstart program. We're trying to get them ready for school. Because we know if they're not successful there, the rest of their life is going to be hard. And our after-school program, to give these kids an opportunity to come here where it's safe and to be around people who, are, who love them and care about them. What do we get for that? Does our church grow by leaps and bounds? No, as a matter of fact, it doesn't. Do those people who attend give lots and lots of money to our church? No, as a matter of fact, it costs us money. But it's not about vain conceit or selfish ambition. It's about a need in our community that we can meet, and because we can mean it, we will. It's that simple. So if you're wondering, how, should we be doing this? Oh, our church doesn't really grow because of the after-school program. We would say, it's not the point. The point is they need help, and we can do it. And so we will. We still have the areas where we try to grow the church. We still have our Christian education program. We still have children's church. We still have small groups. We still do all of that. It's not like, like we're doing one or the other. We're doing them both. But the reason we reach out to these little kids and their parents, the reason we reach out to these teenagers, most of whom, by the way, come from Latino and Hispanic homes, and if you look around the congregation, you'll see that we have some, but mostly we're pretty Caucasian, okay? But our community isn't. Our community is far more diverse. We love our church to be more diverse. Because our community is diverse, we have ministries for them. Not because of vain conceit or selfish ambition, but because we're thinking of Next, you want to be a Barnabas? Look for the good and encourage it. Now, see, there it is. Some of us are really good at looking at what's wrong with people. Some of us are skilled at that. We have practice. Barnabas probably saw all of the flaws in Mark and all of the flaws in Saul, but when he focused in on what was good and right, and that's what you encourage. This is what the Bible says. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Now, we do that and we talk about the scripture verse, but one thing we don't do is apply it to the people around us. Let's do that for a moment, shall we? Let's not just look at the world or our culture. Let's talk about the people that we know. What if we took the people that we know and followed this advice, whatever is noble and true and right and pure and lovely and admirable and praiseworthy, that's what I'm going to focus on in you. That's what I'm going to bring out in you. That's what I'm going to talk about. Some of us, that's a hard thing because what we look for and what we see are all the flaws and that's what we want to point out. And we'll do it this way. We'll say, I'm just trying to help you be better. Yeah. 
Let me tell you all the things that are wrong with you, and I'm just trying to help you be better. I wonder if maybe that's not the wrong approach. Now, there may be a time when we have to sit down to talk about someone's flaws or whatever. I'm, I'm not saying that you're never going to do that. But what if we did this? What if we filled our mind about all the good things in our partner, in our spouse, our husband, our wife, our kids, our parents, our neighbors? What if we really said, you know, I really like, what if you encouraged them and said, you know, I really like this in you. What if we encourage them, not so much to work on their flaws, but to work on their strengths? What if we ask them, encourage them to do that more and more and more? What if they fill more and more and more of their life with the good things, the things they do well, the things they excel at? It just seems to reason that, that if they did that more and more and more, there would be less and less time to what? Mess up, yeah! I want you to fill and do the things you do well. If I can get you to do the things you do well 24 hours a day, you don't have any time to mess up or worry about the things you don't do well. You look for the good and you encourage it. Then the next thing you're going to do, because this is what's going to happen. When you do that, yes, they will fall. Yes, they will fail because they are flawed just like you. So here's what you do. You remember and you realize that the process is messy. <laughs> it is. If we're going to be a Barnabas and we're going to encourage people, don't think that they're just going to rise up to that encouragement and suddenly be perfect people. They're going to mess up on a regular basis, just like John Mark, who was encouraged by Barnabas. Hey, come with us. And he deserted them. And Paul, bless his little heart, was saying, that's it. I'm done with him. And Barnabas said, not even close. He comes with us. Or our partnership is done. And Paul says, well, then guess what? It's done. Wow. The process is messy. People don't change overnight. Your kids aren't going to change overnight. Your spouse isn't going to change overnight. Your neighbors aren't going to change overnight. It doesn't work that way. You can encourage them and build them up and point out the good and ask them to strive to, to, to take that good and to make it bigger so that it's far more of their life than anything else. But it's going to take time and they will mess up. That's why scripture says this. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. That means that we are people, not just of the second chance, but of the third and the fourth and the fifth. doesn't mean that we're going to be unwise. If I entrust some money with you and uh, you squander it and waste it and leave me penniless, I'm probably not going to entrust you with much more money. But I'm going to trust you with something else. I'm going to give you another shot. I'm not going to be stupid about it. But I'm not going to wash my hands of you either. It's a messy process to be a Barnabas. The people around you will change, but you have to trust the Father. You've got to trust that it, He's working, and it will work, but not overnight. So finally, there's just this. If we're going to be a Barnabas, and we're, we're going to do all the things that we've talked about, 
But this is really what it comes down to. You're going to learn to love as Jesus loved. Have you ever really studied 1 Corinthians 13? The passage that talks about what love really is? Let me read it for you. Because this is Barnabas. This is Barnabas. Love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. How about that? Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Selfish ambition, vain conceit. Love doesn't strut. Love doesn't have a swelled head. Doesn't force itself on others. It isn't always me first. Doesn't fly off the handle. Doesn't keep score of the sins of others. Doesn't revel when others grovel. Takes pleasure in the flowering of truth. Puts up with anything. Trust God always. Always looks for the best. Never looks back but keeps on going to the end. Whoa. That's <laughs> Barnabas. That's a son of encouragement. All Barnabas was doing was loving people the way Jesus loves us. He was just farther along in the process. Maybe it was more natural to him. I don't know what it was. I just, when I read this, I go, Barnabas, 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 Barnabas. Not Doug Bailey, Doug Bailey, Doug Bailey, because I'm not Barnabas yet. Sometimes I can be, and I love it when I'm, I'm the son of encouragement. I can speak in, into people's lives, and they're encouraged. They're, I feel great about that. I just wish it happened a little more often. All we're talking about doing is learning to love as Jesus loved. Which means that if you really want to learn how to be a Barnabas, who do you study? Jesus, yeah, it's a kind of a strange thing, isn't it, here as Christians, that we should actually be Christ followers, to follow him, and to say, this is how Jesus loved us, this is what he did, that's what I need to be doing as well. Everyday heroes of the faith, they just learn to look for the best in the people around them, and bring it out. Oh, imagine our marriages, our families church. If everybody was involved in focusing on the best and bringing that out. The world was changed by a man who did that. Just in two men's lives. Mark and Paul. We don't even know about all the hundreds of others that he did that with. Still works today. Barnabas, son of encouragement, find the best and bring it out. Father, see, it's what you did. You created us. You saw within us that potential that you created. Even though we were lost in sin, even though we turned our back on you, you saw the best and you brought it out. You had your son Jesus come to bring it out. And that's what we're learning to do with your help. And Father, what we want to continue to do with the people around us is that very thing. Let us be people of encouragement to one another. Not of criticizing, but encouragement. We want to see the best as you see in us and help you bring it out in the name of Jesus. Amen.